Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. Peter begins his second epistle with the matter of faith. In fact, he addresses the epistle to those who have been allotted faith. Faith is a mysterious thing and often misunderstood by believers and unbelievers alike. Many people, maybe even most people, think that faith is something that we need to somehow produce or find in order to believe. But according to Peter, faith is something allotted to us. The Apostle Paul makes a similar point in Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. John Pester, joining us for our second life study in this uh, book of Second Peter. Interesting, begins with this matter of faith being allotted to us, John. What's really significant about this word faith is it, it is the initiation point for all of the processes that Peter will describe throughout the remainder of the book. We have been allotted faith, and this is not something that we have conjured up because we've been given a convincing argument right. that we have looked at it from an apologetic standpoint and have decided, yeah, probably Jesus is God and probably he did live on the earth 2,000 years ago. He was a real man, and therefore I believe in him. That is not the faith that Peter is talking about. Peter is talking about having received an allotment of faith, which is the initiation point for all of the processes that come afterwards. It's the initiation for grace and peace to be multiplied to us. It's the initiation for us to advance in his virtue and enter into his glory, and it's the basis for us to become partakers of the divine nature. So faith to Peter is something very experiential, something very subjective, and something that has a divine origin and a divine scene to it. I like the first section that we're going to have today. He's going to use a very simple metaphor to help us with faith and kind of lay hold of faith in this subjective aspect, that which makes real to us the things of God, the things that, as Peter says, pertain to life and godliness. And let me just say as a word of review, and that is, as Peter says, faith is allotted to us. Paul in Colossians tells us that it's Christ that's allotted to us, somewhat equating or personifying faith with Christ. Really, he is both our faith and he's the object of our faith, isn't he, John? We believe items concerning and related to Christ because that very believing Christ is within us, empowering us to believe. It is the faith of Christ. It's not just the faith about Christ. It's the faith of Christ within us, energizing us to believe into and receive the things of Christ. And so there is an aspect of faith that relates to the objective things that we believe in. But we have to realize that we objectively believe in those things because we have subjectively received Christ as our allotment, and this allotment is experienced by us as faith. 
Well, the writer of Hebrews, whom we assume was also Paul, uh, gives us a definition of faith in chapter 11. We'll hear Witness Lee refer to this uh, in his portion just ahead. Chapter 11, verse 1 of Hebrews, Now faith is the substantiation of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Here's Witness Lee with our first section. Let me check with you. What is faith? I do believe this is hard word to you. Faith is the substantiation of the substance of the truths. Look, here is a stand. And what is the substance of the stand? Wood, okay. Now, I am a blind man. You tell me, there is a stand. I say, I cannot see it. But then you say, you should touch it. So my hand touches. The touching is the substantiating. And this substantiating makes the substance of the stand real. This is faith. So many great things in God's New Testament blessing. Rich things. But, you know, our mentality is all blind. So God says, exercise your faith. Let your faith substantiate all the substance of my New Testament blessing. Now, I use a metaphor. It is like, in the camera, here's a scenery. When the light brings the scenery to the film, just a little click, the light gets in. Now, when the light gets in, the scenery is brought into the camera onto the film. We are just a camera. Our spirit inside is the film. And the scenery is just the New Testament inheritance. It is outside of us. And how could this get into us? Through our seeing, that's faith. And through the light, that is the spirit. It is exactly like photography. When we hear the teaching, the preaching of the New Testament, we all have experienced there was a click. Sometimes people don't have this click. You praise, you teach. No, no, I don't agree. You teach, you praise, you see, I don't care. You praise, you teach, crazy. But by his mercy, we don't know why up to a certain day. Just, just a little, ah, lies gets in. <laughs> and the new husband scenery has been brought by the light into you and has been impressed on your spirit. Two uh, vivid examples, one a metaphor here, this matter of uh, the camera with the shutter and the light coming in and the film. And this uh, process really does, I think, according to our experience, describe accurately, doesn't it, John, uh, exactly how faith operates. I think there's a point in the experience of every genuine Christian where there is a click in response to the light that is shining from the Spirit and in God's Word as we are exposed to 
God's Word. And as the Spirit operates in the speaking out of God's Word and in the reading of God's Word, there is a click in our being that constitutes us a Christian, because at that point, the reality of all of the spiritual content in that scene is impressed and imparted into our being and becomes part of our being, because with that scene, there's the impartation of the divine life, which brings all things pertaining to life and godliness into our being, because it brings the very one who is life and the very one who is godliness into our being. And so, It's marvelous to realize that it's not just a mental agreement with certain facts in the Bible that constitute as Christians. It's that we've had this scene. Someone has come to us and spoken the living word of God that operates in us, and it imparts God into our being, and the response in our being is faith. We just believe, and in that believing, there's an appreciation and a receiving of all of the things that pertain to life and godliness. You know, you made an interesting point in the opening that it's not a matter of, you know, intellectually so much weighing the pros and cons and making two columns to decide if we're going to believe. And that's not to say no one has ever gotten saved that way, but by and large, it doesn't operate on that plane. Interesting. Now you're talking about uh, somebody who is an atheist who has this experience. The same process works in the same way, even to those who have grown up in the church and heard the speaking, you know, since they were children. And yet nothing really there until one day, all of a sudden, for them, there's the click. And the same impression of the reality of God being illuminated in the light of his word happens in the being. So really, the atheist and the church-going youngster who never uh, has an experience both need the same thing, don't they? They absolutely need the same thing, and they absolutely receive the same thing. They are allotted faith that is equally precious to every believer— because this faith is really the operation of the living God, Christ himself, in our being. And so a staunch atheist and a very goodly youngster still needs this. They still need to open to the Lord, like opening up the shutter of the camera so that the light can shine in and impress the reality, the content, the substance of the truth into their being. And then it becomes something very subjective to them. It's not something that they even can be convinced out of. Just like they couldn't be convinced of it with mere mental knowledge, they can't be convinced out of it with mere mental arguments. Someone can come to them and lay out a whole elaborate argument about why God does not exist, but after they've received that click, there's just the believing Christ living in them saying, no, I don't accept that. And so, What a marvelous allotment that we have received. It's not from us, and it's not dependent on us. Well, as you said, Peter lays this down as the foundation or the key that brings us into all of the reality of the uh, spiritual blessings that we have been given in our inheritance. We're going to get to those now as we jump to uh, the following verses in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us all things which relate to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and virtue. Boy, there is a lot of content in those two verses. Here's Witness Lee. Verse 2, grace to you and peace be multiplied in the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord 
how much it will be multiplied depends how much you know God and Christ. It depends upon your proper knowledge. The grace and peace will be multiplied to you. Then we go on to verse 3. You see, from verse 3 to verse 11, it is the impartation of the divine power. Grace and peace will be multiplied to us as his divine power. Just according to what the divine power has granted us. Without the divine power imparting all the things relating to life and godliness, how could grace and peace multiply? You see, the divine power has granted us all things relating to life and godliness. Life is within for us to live. And godliness is without as the outward expression of the inward life. Life is an inward energy, inward strength to bring forth the outward godliness which leads to glory. Then through the full knowledge of him who has called us into his own glory and virtue. Glory is the divine goal. Virtue is the energy and strength of life to reach the goal. This virtue has been given to us by the divine power, but it needs to be developed on the way to glory. You know, John, listening, uh, when he was talking about the camera or even the blind man touching the wooden stand, I was tracking with him very, very well. But the slope got steeper here when we get to this section. There's a lot here. I did happen to make note of the number of times, however, that he mentions this matter of the divine power imparting to us, the divine power granting to us. Everything that follows is related to the impartation of this divine power, isn't it? The impartation of the divine power is the source of everything that Peter speaks of related to life and godliness, related to uh, being called according to his own glory and virtue. He lays out a process that every Christian is involved in, in a life that's under God's government and in God's divine supply. And the impartation of the divine power is necessary for that process to be activated. It is the source of that process. And as the divine power is imparted into our being, grace and peace are multiplied with us. The multiplication of grace and peace depends upon and is strengthened by the full knowledge of the truth. As we come to the truth, as we come to the word, which is Mm -hmm. living and operative, the words that are spirit and life, as we get into the word, this activates the operation of the divine power within us. If we want to be those who are on the path toward glory, we have to be people who are in the Word. And so uh, Peter very closely ties the multiplication of grace and peace with the full knowledge of the truth. So as the full knowledge of the truth enters into our being, there's this scenery that unfolds and is realized and substantiated by faith. And this realization 
is the operation of the divine power, and it brings us into all things related to life and godliness. And so for grace and peace to be multiplied, we need the divine power. For the divine power to be operative, we need to be people of the word. We need to be people in the word. We need to be people that allow the word to come into us and to be imparted into us and to fill us. I was so encouraged in reading this to realize it's so simple. There's very complicated phrases that Peter has, but the reality is it's very simple to enter into it. We need to be people in the Word and of the Word and let the Word dwell in us richly, and as that happens, there is a multiplication of grace and peace. You just check your experience. You get into the Word, and whereas once you were troubled, now you have the sufficient supply and you're very peaceful toward other people and toward God. It is the full knowledge of the Word that activates the divine power. I think embedded in uh, what you've just uh, given us here, the thought that as we uh, received the Lord initially, and we described it, you know, through this picture, this metaphor of the camera, but the process is the same one that takes us on step by step, not just for our initial salvation, but as we are brought into all the things pertaining to life and godliness, this same process, this same uh, activating operation of God, the divine power within us, uh, the principle is the same, isn't it, throughout the progress of the Christian journey? We need to walk in the Lord in the same way that we receive the Lord. The Christian life is a life of receiving. It's a life of enjoying. It's a life of partaking, which we'll see in the next verse, that we have been enabled to become partakers of the divine nature. I, I just appreciated that verb, that we could become yeah. partakers of the divine nature, which means that having been regenerated, having received the Lord, now we need to continually partake of what we have received. Very good. Let's go to that verse. It's verse 4. It's the next one in sequence here. Pick up the last part of uh, verse 3 so we get the whole thought. Who has called us by his own glory and virtue, through which he has granted to us precious and exceedingly great promises, that through these you might become partakers of the divine nature. One of the great phrases in all of Scripture. Uh, We're going to have a number of programs on this verse that uh, we do want to touch it initially in this portion just ahead. Then we come to verse 4. God has called us to his glory and virtue. On the basis of this glory, on the basis of this virtue, he gives us a promise. And it is also through such a process God gives us the promises. In other words, God has called us into his golden virtue. And this has to be worked out. Have you been called into his golden virtue? You have. But now, are you in the glory? Are you participating in his virtue? You have to say, a little bit, a little bit, sometimes. So, whatever God has called us into needs a kind of working out. How to work this out? Through his promises. Promising us he will be responsible, he will work out glory and virtue on us that you might become partakers of the divine nature. You know, we have received the divine life by believing. Just at that click, 
the divine life got into us, but to partake of the divine nature, that is to enjoy what God is. This needs a lot of doing. God will do something on us according to his promise. Then we enjoy his nature. We enjoy what he is. My grace is sufficient for you. I tell you, this grace will just work on you that you may day after day partake of God's divine nature. Right? And the more we enjoy the divine nature of God, the more we got into his virtue, right? And the more we reach his glory. The language here is somewhat tricky. Verse 3 ends with this matter of being called by his own glory and virtue. Then verse 4 begins, through which he has granted to us precious and exceedingly great promises that through these you might become partakers of the divine nature. So there's a linking here. Uh, and we see actually the glory as a preceding, but it's also the goal to which we're being brought, isn't it? There is a marvelous progression in these verses. Just these four verses, you have the entirety of our Christian life, even from eternity past all the way into eternity future. In our particular experience, it begins with an allotment of faith and it ultimately ends in glory with virtue. And this is made possible by us being partakers of the divine nature, which is according to his exceedingly great and precious promises. So something has been promised to us, and the promise really is a promise of becoming partakers of the divine nature. And as we partake of this divine nature, we enter into this process where grace and peace are multiplied, right. and we experience and enjoy all that God is, and we experience his own glory and virtue. I am so appreciative of the fact that in this process, we're not talking about our glory and we're not talking about our virtues, just like we're not talking about some kind of faith that we work up in our own minds. We're not talking about virtues that we work up in our own kinds of behavior. We're talking about we have been called. A Christian is a person who has been called into his own glory and virtue, which means we participate, we enjoy, we partake of all that Christ is. And as we partake and participate in all that Christ is, his virtues become our virtues. His glory becomes our glory. He and we become one in expression and in life. We have life within. We have godliness without as our expression. And this expression manifests itself as virtue and ultimately issues in glory. Uh, it is a marvelous process that begins with faith, that ends with glory, but that depends upon the operation of the divine power, which is inherently activated as we partake of the divine nature. John, we uh, are going to take the next days and talk about these two verses, particularly verses 3 and 4, uh, the glory and virtue uh, that by which we are called and through which we are called the divine nature that we become partakers of and the result, the issue of that uh, process as you described it. There's a lot here. So I uh, hope our listeners can stay with us. I also recommend 
particularly the printed life studies here, as well as the recovery version with the footnotes. The language of Peter, you know, we talked about in the first book, the first epistle, how this was a supposedly an uneducated Galilean fisherman. We don't taste much of that Galilean fisherman when we come to uh, these books, do we, John? We don't. This shows that Peter was a partaker. Yeah. This shows that Peter really experienced what he's speaking about. He's not talking doctrine at all. And I just would hope that all of the Christians that are listening to us as this program unfolds over the next few messages, we would really ask ourselves, what does it mean to be a partaker of the divine nature? I don't think many Christians even realize this verse is in the Bible, that we are partakers of the divine nature. Just meditate and pray before the Lord. What does it mean to partake? What is the divine nature? Mm. And how does this relate to my daily experience of Christ? I think if we would have this kind of prayerful consideration before the Lord, there would be a lot of shining, there would be a lot of scenery that would be imparted into our being, and there would be an advancement of grace and peace as we, as Christians, individually and corporately advance along the God-ordained path toward glory. You know, when that shutter clicked the first time we received the divine life once for all. Right. But the divine nature is something we have to partake of day by day and even throughout eternity. And praise the Lord that we can. Amen for that. John, good to have you here. Uh, Kind of a tough assignment today. These verses are uh, a lot there and and I really appreciate your help. I hope you can come back and join us again soon. And I've already encouraged you to contact us about getting the life studies and even the recovery version. If you'd like to do that, the toll-free number to reach us, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. For John Pester, I'm Chris Wild. Thanks so much for listening today. This program is brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, publisher of the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. To find out more about these two 20th century New Testament ministers, we invite you to visit our website, lsm.org. There you'll find more than 600 titles from both authors available online. You can also listen to recordings of Witness Lee's spoken messages and see the full array of material that Living Stream has to offer. Again, That's lsm.org. Thank you for listening today.